Um, we're reading uh, no, okay. We're reading from uh, the book of John, chapter 3, verses 1 through to 17, from the NIV. And I'm assured that what I'm going to read matches the screen. Okay. Because sometimes we get confused, but that's okay. <clears throat> so, reading from verse 3, actually. Now, no, no, it's actually verse 1. The formatting is changed a bit, I'm sorry. Okay, from verse 1, John chapter 3. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their, into this, into this mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is the word of the Lord. I want to take you back to 1970. I was a bus driver for Sydney Buses, heavily involved for many competitive team sports such as golf, table tennis, darts, snooker. I played golf for the state transport being captain of the B grade team. The handicap was three in travelling to Melbourne on alternative years. Doing split, doing split shifts, I would Played table tennis in my break at the bus depot. I was, a ca I was a casual Christian, fitting God in when it was convenient. Karen was our firstborn, was not travelling very well. She was three and just diagnosed with a diseased brain, suffering from epilepsy, life expectancy, early childhood. We were told not to expect anything from her. We were pretty shattered and confused. I can remember driving home that day and Lett was in tears and I was, I didn't know where we were going. We just couldn't believe what was happening. I was walking home from work. I loved looking at cloud formations 
And this particular night, I saw the clouds, a person kneeling and praying. I could count even the fingers, even the fingers. I started to share it with Beth, telling her that I think God wanted us to talk to him. Beth did, and not in a very nice way. <laughs> well, I kept on with my sport and filled my time, so I didn't have to think about the precious little girl, Karen. This meant that I didn't attend church very often. We moved to Warrywood and I was feeling very tired and uh, cranky. I was getting pressured to play even, which ever watch what I was going to play. Um, Beth attended Mainville United Church. We were, a, we were at a service when a plea went out for people to join the choir. Beth suggested you enjoy singing. Why don't you join? I thought, me, a church choir? But I did, and, and the love shown to me was amazing, and I, couldn't, I just couldn't wait to get back the following week. I was told that all tapes, they all take their parts. That's fine if you had a tape recorder. Finances didn't allow me from, to do that and be extravagant like that. But one day when I came home from the lunch, there was a package at the front door. You guessed it. It was a tape recorder. So I was able to record my music even every morning after my trip to Wynyard. I would travel along Wakers Parkway. There was little traffic and no traffic lights and the tape running. I practiced my part. And suddenly the words become real to me. And a change took place in my heart. I gave up my sport. Everyone was asking me why I was so happy and you aren't playing any sport. I was so happy to tell them about the change that had overcome me. I started sharing the love I had for Jesus. Some of the guys were interested. Another one would say, shut up your Bible basher. <laughs> yeah, anyway, it doesn't matter. I keep playing for this gentleman anyway. <laughs> Sometime later I found out my one guy committed his life to Christ. And another guy sent me a letter saying, after talking to me, confirmed his call to go into the ministry. And it was such a shock to me. It was such a wonderful thing. Praise God. Okay. We had a lot of ups and downs with Karen's health, but always felt that God went before us, covering you with his love and strength. Doctors advised us to place Karen in care as it would be better for her health and ours. This was the hardest thing we ever had to do. But she settled in very well and it allowed us to have quality time with her. It was the beginning of this century when I was diagnosed with a grade 5 melanoma. Two lots of surgery and every day for a month I had, to treat, I had treatment at Westmead Hospital. They watched me very carefully. Then seven years later, they found that there were masses in my lungs, liver and adrenal gland. I visited the healing room, which was being run in the basement at this church. While people were praying for me, I had a vision of being in the garden with Jesus. I was sitting down, he was sitting on a rock. He was stroking my head and I was crying and I looked into his face 
and he was crying also. Chemo, chemo started and it was three weekly. By the time we got home after treatment, I was very poorly and would drop into bed, have a Vegemite toast because I craved salt, a Coke, glass of Coke because it eased my nausea, and then Ron would give me a heat pack that I could put on my back between my shoulder blades because the pain was horrific. And this ritual went on for 18 months until one time I was in extreme pain. I didn't want my Vegemite toast. I couldn't face the Coke. And as for the heat pack on my back, I couldn't bear it. And Ron would hold it close to my back, thinking the heat would help, but I couldn't handle that either. The bed was uncomfortable. It felt like stone. It hurt to even lay there. I decided to go out and sit on the lounge and I started talking to God. Lord, I can't do this anymore. He answered me. Okay, but what about Ron? And I looked at Ron's face and there was pain. And he said, what about your boys? Mm. And then Karen wouldn't understand if you weren't here anymore. Mm. And I said, okay, then Will I get Ron to ring an ambulance? And he said, no, go back to bed. I went back to bed and it was still wretchedly hard. And I started meditating on the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. <laughs> he makes me lie down in green pastures and suddenly the bed became soft. He leads me beside quiet waters he refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will feel no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. And I must have fallen asleep because I didn't remember anymore till 12 hours later in the morning when I woke up and got on with a normal day. It was soon after this that I had another scan. The results were not good. Chemo had, stop, had, had stopped working. The masses had, had got through the chemo. And so the doctor said chemo to stop. But before I could digest what the doctor said, he went on and said, we're having a trial here and we want three people and you're the third person and you have to do it. What do I have to lose? So, 12 weeks, 12 weeks later, I had another scan. The masses had decreased by 65%. It was looking good, no side effects. I started to live a normal life. Treatment continued for two and a half years. My last treatment was April 2015. But my visits continued with regular scans. Then in August 22, I walked into the room for my visit and there was the chief oncologist, his assistant, my coordinate, Ron and I, and I thought, what's going on? And they told me then that I didn't have to go to Westmead anymore, that I was free. I was to graduate. <laughs> After all this time, I believe we wouldn't have coped without the love of Jesus. 
supporting us all the way through all my treatment and also the loss of Karen when she was 47. I feel, or should I say, we were richly blessed through all this experience. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Ron and Betty, for sharing that story. I know you've shared it before, but every time you hear those stories, um, I don't know about you, but I'm a bit moved myself. This is what we're talking a little bit about this, uh, this month, this sermon series that we're currently going through. The times and the places where we encounter God. I liked that you had Ron's encounter with God is just like singing hymns on the bus. And Betty's is, is in this kind of deep, dark pit of hardship. And yet, in both these times, God can speak powerfully. Let me pray. And then we're going to jump into our passage a little bit more. Ah, dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way it speaks to all of us. Lord, we just pray now as we come before your word and we think about this conversation that was had thousands of years ago on a dark evening, Lord, the way the, the words that were spoken that night have um, reverberated throughout history and have um, been so helpful and comforting to millions of people across the ages. Lord, we just pray that once again, this morning as we come before your word, that it might speak to us, wherever we're at, wherever we're at on our walk. Lord, you might have something for us um, that is helpful, that is meaningful, that is impactful. Lord, we just... I uh, pray you'll help me to speak truthfully and clearly of your word. And we just pray this all now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. <clears throat> so, um, from time to time, we have encounters in life that can kind of change you forever. Hey? Sometimes they can be big things. Sometimes they can be small things. They come in all different shapes and sizes. Um, one good example would be uh, having kids, eh? That changes you <laughs> one way or another, for good or for bad. I remember when uh, we were, um, were, were pregnant with, with Wes our first, I was like, oh, no, nah, it won't change me much. It won't, it won't be much different, surely. I was wrong. You know, as an example, like I now know more about Beyblades than you could ever imagine. I know, the names, the series, you know, which, which combinations work, but children change you in one way or another. Um, sometimes it can be a significant life experience. It could be, like, like Betty was sharing, a health scare. It could be an accident. It could be something that makes you really step back um, and take stock of life. As I was thinking about this week, I was reminded of the movie, 127 Hours. Have you seen it? No spoilers. <laughs> For those who've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. Um, it's about a guy who gets trapped in this ravine and he's stuck there for 127 hours. There's a book and a movie. and I haven't read the book, but I've seen the movie. And in the movie, um, he just spends all this time because he's stuck there, um, kind of going over his life. You know what I mean? Like just rethinking his life. He spends a lot of time thinking about what led him to this point of having his hand trapped behind this boulder in this ravine. But... Uh, you know, these sorts of big experiences, these incidents, these accidents, these health scares, whatever, they can really make us take stock of what is important in life and change us. You know, often one of the things I think that changes us in one way or another is, is losing loved ones. 
be it parents or siblings or you know something tragic like losing a child these sorts of experiences with which we come away from we're not the same afterwards uh, but perhaps one of the most common experiences i think of an event that changes your life or an encounter that changes your life is meeting someone who is going to be really important in the rest of your life you know a spouse is, is one of those obvious ones. You know, meeting that person with whom you're going to spend the rest of your life with. Maybe it is meeting um, a mentor or a teacher, someone who really helps train, shape, helps you to navigate life. You know, you meet a person and then after that point you're different. Um, uh, you're never quite the same again after it. Or maybe it's just meeting a really good friend, a really close friend that's someone you can walk with through life. Well, we're looking at this idea of encounters um, in this current series, and we focused on this particular passage because this passage is actually all about an encounter. Nicodemus encountering Jesus. Um, there was a famous verse in there. I don't know if anyone noticed. Anyone notice? Yeah, John 3.16. Who would have thought John 3.16 is in John chapter 3? Every time it pops up, I'm surprised. Like, I didn't, oh, that's right, like... Of course, the context of that verse, that really famous verse, is this encounter, is this conversation that Jesus has with this guy, Nicodemus, who comes to find out a little bit more about who this Jesus guy is. Let's jump into the passage, have a look from verse 1. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man called Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Right, here's kind of the context for everything else that comes in this verse. We get this beautiful passage about this great theology, but the context is this guy, um, Nicodemus. No ordinary guy. He's a Pharisee, but no, no ordinary Pharisee. He's part of the uh, ruling Jewish council so he's up up the flagpole later jesus refers to him as the teacher of israel it's thought that he's like kind of like a like a professor or a lecturer you know he's he is someone for whom has great authority amongst the pharisees great seniority um great prestige and he has heard about what is going on with jesus he needs to find out more so he comes to meet him at night likely he comes to meet him at night because he fears being seen with him. He fears what the association with meeting with this troublemaker, this upstart, this Jesus guy from Galilee, kind of you know out in the boondocks, middle of nowhere, the, the blowback that he might experience from meeting Jesus publicly. So he comes in the dark so that perhaps he won't be seen. But there's also this beautiful imagery going on too that... Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the dark so that he might find the light. And in doing so, that is just what he does. He comes to Jesus as an important, powerful man. He comes to Jesus as a spiritual master, but he leaves as a student, recognising that he has met the true spiritual Master, Have a look, verse 3. Jesus replies, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asks. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. 
Jesus answers, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of spirit. Jesus speaks true spiritual things to Nicodemus. Even though Nicodemus is the teacher of Israel, Nicodemus struggles to grasp what it is he is talking about. Nicodemus falls into the same trap that many people do when they're listening to Jesus' teachings, that he confuses the infinite with the finite. He confuses the worldly with the heavenly. Um, Jesus says to him, uh, you need to be born again. And he says, well, how is that possible? How can one be born um, from a mother's womb? But of course, he says, this is not what I'm talking about. This is not the birth that I am talking about when I'm talking about being reborn. Lots of people have that same problem, listening to Jesus and then only taking kind of the literal um, worldly application from what he's saying. You know, like the woman at the well, um, when Jesus says, do you have water? You know, she's like, oh, didn't you bring a bucket? Thinks that he's talking about the water in the well, but he says, no, I'm talking about living water. Water with which you drink, you'll never thirst again. The Pharisees hear him talking about um, uh, the yeast of, sorry, the disciples, hear him talking about the yeast of the Pharisees and uh, they say, oh, he's talking about bread because we forgot to bring bread. You know, this problem is common, but what Jesus is talking about is not the things of this world, but the spiritual reality behind the world in which we live. You know, born again. No, 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 not that kind of born again. Born of water and born of spirit. He's talking about this time when um, we all will encounter God in some way, shape or form, right? Encounter God in a way with which we are changed, with which we are not the same again. You know, Nicodemus is having this encounter with Jesus and Jesus speaks to him of these sorts of encounters with which we all must have so that we might be born again, so that we might be um, one of God's people, born closer to him. And I love um, birth as an analogy. I think birth is such a great analogy for becoming a Christian, you know, um, because birth is truly a life-altering event, isn't it? You know, one way or another. You're curled up, you're nice and warm, um, everything is good in the world, and then someone pulls the plug and rips you into the world, kicking and screaming, right? Never to return to that nice, comfortable, warm place. Life is different, uh, never to be the same again. Uh, well, the same kind of idea is with Christianity. It's, it's like when something happens, it's like that old life you had, well, that's gone. It's like you, you're torn from that to live something new. The world will never be the same as it was before. Now it's something different, you know, a little bit, le little bit less messy, which is helpful. Um, but life-changing nonetheless. Uh, Nicodemus says, how can this be? How can this be, this being born again? What are you talking about? You're Israel's teacher, Jesus says. You don't understand these things? He's like, don't you get what I'm saying? You're meant to be the teacher of the teachers. And you don't get it. Oh, jeez. Skipping down to 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Seems a bit out of place in talking about a, a snake being lifted up in the desert, but Jesus is referring to an Old Testament story that Nicodemus would know well because he's the teacher of teachers. He's, he's the expert. The story he's referring to is a story from Numbers 21 when um, they're out in the desert and they're wandering around. They're in the middle of their desert wanderings and they started to grumble as they regularly did. 
and uh, God sends snakes amongst them and a bunch of them get bit. And he says to um, Moses, create um, a bronze snake and lift it on a pole and say, all who are bitten by a snake, look at the, 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 the bronze snake on the pole and you'll be saved. And that's what they do. They lift this, this snake up high and all that look at it are spared. They, they, they live. The snake is symbolic in the story, in Numbers 21, of God's power to save his people. Right? All those who come and look, all those who want to see, will see the snake and they will be saved because God's power is to save his people, not just from snakes, not just from the things of this world, but save their souls, right? save them from, from, from for eternity. And Jesus uses this story as an analogy and he says, just as that snake was lifted up, now something else will be lifted up. But it's not a bronze statue. It's not something made by human hands. What will be lifted up will be the son of man, will be the alpha and the omega, the king of kings, the lord of lords, the creator and sustainer of all creation. And all that look upon this, this, this son of man lifted high, all that see the son of man, truly see him, they will be saved because he is the power of God for the salvation of the world. Uh, and then you get John 3.16, right? And what that is, is actually, that's actually a summary of everything he's just said, which is why it's so beautiful and succinct because we love it because you can, you can spit it out in one, one, one sentence and it just sums it all up so well. Um, all those that recognise the power of God for salvation and see will be saved. But let's not get too lost in all of the theology because we're, we're, we're thinking about the encounter. We're thinking about um, Nicodemus meeting Jesus as they're sitting around this table on a dark night having this discussion. Um, the context for all of that conversation is this encounter that Nicodemus has with Jesus. Uh, and I guess the question for us is what impact did it have on him? What did it change about him? What did he do differently because of it? Well, we get a bit of an insight because Nicodemus' story doesn't end in chapter 3. Actually, throughout John, we see him pop up from time to time uh, through the story. Uh, have a look here. This is um, from chapter 750. Um, Nicodemus, who has gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their number, asked... This is the Pharisees all speaking to one another. Does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he is doing? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Look into it. You'll find a prophet does not come out of Galilee. The Pharisees are all gathering their, their, their powers to deal with this Jesus guy. Um, and Nicodemus speaks up in the conversation to defend him. Perhaps a little bit half-heartedly. Perhaps not to the full extent of his his position and his ability. But he wants to stop them or at least slow them down from what they're trying to do when it comes to Jesus because he recognises that in this Jesus guy there is something more. There is something special. Um, but there's another passage later which I think much more clearly shows us how this encounter with Jesus changed Nicodemus. This is right near the end. This is chapter 19 after Jesus has been crucified and has died. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he feared the Jews. 
With Pilate's permission, he came and he took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. He first goes to meet him at night, but now he comes in the broad daylight. You know, Here you see him really sticking his neck out in that sense. He goes with Joseph of Arimathea to retrieve the body, but he doesn't just come. He brings all the embalming herbs and spices and all that kind of stuff. 75 pounds, a small fortune's worth, I'm sure, of stuff because he recognises that this is not just any man. Along the journey, it seems he's scared about stepping out and putting himself in harm's way in that process. But by the time you get to this point, he's not worried anymore. And he does step out and put himself in harm's way, potentially damaging his reputation, potentially setting himself up for some sort of punishment or retribution or whatever. Because he has had this encounter with Jesus and he is a changed man because of it. He is not the same. Um... I'm talking about The Chosen again. Sorry, I do it often. But if you haven't seen it, I apologise. But you can see it. Nicodemus is this key figure in the story of The Chosen um, because uh, the first series, the first few episodes, almost focuses on him. Uh, And we see a little bit of who Jesus is through the experience of Nicodemus hearing the stories and Nicodemus wanting to find out more and Nicodemus having this sit-down encounter with him and I, I i always like when there's different like biblical movies or shows or whatever because they give you an interpretation they give you kind of their point of view of of what's going on behind the scenes but a bit more than is just there in the text it's a bit of reading between the lines um and the way they uh depict um nicodemus is a man who is kind of weighed down by responsibility that he has this life filled with responsibilities And even though he knows that there is something special and something powerful going on with Jesus, the weight of the responsibilities are the things that prevent him from really kind of opening himself up to Jesus, really following him in a serious way. Um, Nicodemus has his own disciples, people who are kind of his, you know, trainees that he's responsible to. Um, Their fate is hitched to his fate. If he, if he just gives up what he's doing, well, then what will become of them? His, his wife, you know, she's like in their late twilight years. She wants to enjoy all that they've done and all that they've... She doesn't want to, like, give it all up so that they could go follow this Galilean around the countryside, you know? And he's this man who's kind of stuck between these, these responsibilities that he has two people for whom he has great affection and love for, but it prevents him from really being able to to open up to that encounter he has with Jesus, to really kind of take on board what he thinks is happening and what he thinks is going on. And I think it's a really interesting idea. Nicodemus has this encounter that clearly changes him, but all the pressures of the world and all the pressures of life Hold him back from really seeing who this guy is, from really understanding who he is. It reminds me of the parable of the sower. 
you know, Jesus' parable of the sower. As he's going and he's spreading the seed, it falls on different soils, some good, some bad, whatever. One of the, the soils it falls on is the, the weedy soil, with which there are many weeds. And the, soil land, uh, the seed lands in the soil, and the roots go down, and the plant starts to grow. But all of the weeds grow up around it and choke it out. And it doesn't produce fruit. It's kind of like, oh, that's Nicodemus. All of the things of the world just press in on him on every side and, they, and it just kind of chokes out this kernel of truth that he knows. This experience that he's had, this encounter that he's had that's changed him, it just, yeah, chokes it out. And as I was thinking about that this week, I was thinking to myself, you know, surely this is the experience that many of us have had. That often we'll have an experience or an encounter with God. We'll have a moment or whatever it might be. It comes in all different ways, shapes and forms. We've heard a couple of them. We'll hear some more as we go on. But we have an experience like that. But then we go back to real life. You know what I mean? Like you have this, like you go away on a retreat and you have this amazing experience. But then Monday comes. Oh, you've got to go to work. Oh, the kids got to go there. Oh, you know. The world just kind of smothers these encounters that we have and whatever it is work or family or hobby or lifestyle or whatever it's the things that we fill our life with choke out that encounter we have and we forget we forget the experience that we had not forget the experience like oh who's that jesus guy i can't remember his name but forget it like we live our life like it didn't happen you know like, like we forget that experience that we had that should shape us and change us. Nicodemus has this sit down with, with Jesus and Jesus goes into the Old Testament, right? And he, and he uses these Old Testament stories and prophecies and he shows them how now the application of them is coming true and what is happening around them. And Nicodemus's mind must have just been completely blown by what he is saying. He has this amazing experience. But then after he leaves, he goes back to normal life, you know? He goes back to Monday, tomorrow and he's got the pressures from his disciples he's got the pressures from the other Jew, the, the other pharisees and the ruling council he's got the pressures from his family he's got all these other things around him it just means that he can't actually fully open himself up to what he's experienced it reminded me of this passage from um, revelation 3 this is john writing to um, one of the churches and he says to one of the churches this Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. For me, that was an important verse whenever I, when, I, when I read it years ago. Remember what you have received and heard and hold it fast. You know, remember that encounter and hold it fast when you go back to Monday. Remember that encounter that you had. Remember what you heard, what you were given, what you learnt. And don't let all of the things of life smother it out. But hold fast to what you were shown. Hold fast to what you were given so that it might continue to shape and change who you are when you hit Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. And that's an, that was an important message for me because I think so many times in my life, I'm like, 
oh, you know, it's just, there's just so much stuff. Hey, I don't have time to think, let alone anything else. And, you know, you, whatever. And you just can get a bit blah and blase about faith, church or Bible study or whatever it is, your own prayer life, whatever it is. Then I think, no, I've got to not forget. I've got to hold fast to those encounters that I have had, that I know are true. And not just let them get smothered by a busy life with which I lead. Um, does anyone remember an old song now? Um, a Janet Jackson song, What Have You Done For Me Lately? Anyone? I think I'm, gonna men- I'm not going to mention this in the night because they're not going to know what I'm talking about. But um, Good song. But do you, like, do you remember the, 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 uh, the concept of the song is interesting? You know, it's like, what have you done for me lately? It's almost like it's this conversation between two people in a relationship. It's like, what have you done for me lately? You know, it's like, oh, I married you, I loved you, we have our children together. Oh, yeah, but what have you done for me lately? It's like, oh, I you breakfast in bed and gave you a foot rub. Oh, that was last week. What have you done for me lately? You know, it's like this interesting conversation. But sometimes I think it's like that between us and God. And we're, we're in a, like, what have you done for me lately conversation with God. It's like, God's like, I, I, I came to you in power. I gifted you my spirit. You remember those times when you poured your heart out in prayer and are powerfully answered. And we're like, yeah, but you know, what have you done for me lately? You know, like, I've given you my son. I raised him on a cross so that all that look upon him and see might be saved. Yeah, but, you know, lately, what have you done for me? I'm not feeling it right now. This is the encouragement I want you to take away from the story of Nicodemus, the encounter that he has. Remember back to the times in your life when you have had an encounter with God, when God has powerfully spoken to you. Maybe it was on the bus singing a hymn. Maybe it was when you were struggling, you were in the depths of your own difficulty and you just cried out to God and God just gave you a peace that was beyond understanding. Think back to those times And what I want you to do is hold fast to them, is remember them, is to not let all of the things of life dampen down the experiences that we've had. Here's my encouragement this week, to go out, remember those times that you've encountered Christ. Remember the time that you first were given the gospel or the time that you first understood it for real. And use that as a fuel for you to, to, to live out your calling this week. Use that as a fuel for you to love those around you this week. Use that as a fuel for you just to serve and follow God more passionately in your life. Band, can I invite you up? Um, I'm going to pray and we're going to um, end our time and uh, sing our last song together. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, you are a good and gracious God. Lord, you give us so much. Lord, you give us so much, and yet we often come back to you with a what have you done for me lately (laughs) response. Lord, I want to start with a heart of repentance for that. Lord, I want to say sorry for those times that we have not remembered, that we have forgotten the good things that you have done. We have forgotten the way that you have changed and shaped us, forgotten the ways that you have moved powerfully in our lives and in the lives of those around us, our friends and our family. Lord, let us hold tightly to those. Let us hold tightly to those encounters, those experiences. Let us not forget 
Let us go out today and be changed and shaped by the memory of those moments, those times, in all of the different ways with which they have come, Lord. And let us go out uh, into the world with a, a renewed passion to serve you and to live out your will in all of the different places that you have put us, with all the people that you have given us. Lord, we just pray that we might have a heart that is just um, so open to hearing you speak to us. We might just have um, eyes and ears prepared to see where you are moving, Lord, and what it is you might have of us. Lord, I just thank you that we can come before your word now. We can hear it. We can be moved by it and changed by it, Lord. I just pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. We sing together our final song.